high school was great. There was a lot of um, personality stuff that came up, and at the same time, there's a lot of freedom. So you get to you get to meet new friends, and and you, your parents gave you some liberties that you never used to have before. I joined, you know, the music group and orchestra. I loved music. Um, also, I was very keen uh, to learn about maths and English and science. It was it really it got me going. But I did struggle socially. It's really mainly because I was um, the odd one out, the only Arab, and uh, very short, easy to pick on. Uh, I just let things happen. And so there were only a few people who were really interested in becoming a friend. Uh, but nevertheless, I just continued to plow through. And, um, and all those shortcomings that I had, I knew I couldn't do anything about. And uh, I just relied on learning and books. And that's all uh, what I focused my energy on. A lot of bullying did happen. And it, although it really did affect me, um, I, I tended to just ignore it as much as I could. But it certainly made it difficult for me to, to, get, to, to get through high school and succeed. And you came to a point in life where you started questioning faith in any form of, of God. Tell us what that crisis of faith was like. That was a tough time. Approximately about 13 years of age, I came to some sort of uh, realization that I was doing all these rituals that really didn't make any meaning um, in my own life. Why was I doing all this stuff, uh, praying five times a day, prostrating myself in front of God, and it had to be in alignment with where the Kaaba was, which is in Saudi Arabia and Medina, um, in Mecca, sorry, and, um, and fasting one month a year, doing Ramadan. Um, and Ramadan, to me, was more of a cultural thing than it was a spiritual thing. And all these things, really, I suppose, I questioned. And I questioned them in my own mind, because if I tried to question them to my parents... Um, they would have beaten it out of me. Mm. There was just no way they would have accepted their own son could question their their reason for living and their form of faith. Uh, faith for them is everything. Um, even if they can't give you answers, they just don't want you to question it. Um, so I lived with that um, doubt and, and all those questions and didn't ask anyone because I didn't have the courage to ask anyone. And all I ever knew was the Egyptian community at that stage, socially. Um, school... Really, it was just all about having fun. So there was not much serious talk going on. So I really kept that all inside for many years, even after finishing high school. Uh, I, I just uh, attended these um, festivities and, and performed all the rituals out of obligation, not out of um, a, a spirit of wanting to um, to please God. It's an interesting uh, scenario uh, that you're just sharing with us there. I've got a friend who... Uh, was a Muslim in Afghanistan, and he's recently converted to Christianity. And uh, he said to me, I really wasn't a Muslim. I was just doing it because that's what my family did and that was the culture, but I really didn't have any heart in it. It wasn't really real to me. He said, now that I come to Christ and I come to church, it is the most real thing in my life. It's it's uh, When I pray, I feel that Jesus hears my prayers. When I read the Bible, I feel that it's alive. Uh, do you find that there's... Uh, like that stark contrast between the two religions, you know, for you personally? Yes, I've heard a number of those um, interviews with, with, the, with converts from Pakistan and, and Afghanistan, and I relate to them so closely, even though I wasn't brought up in those countries. Um, it is quite amazing that you have this innate desire to, um, to be at one with, with God, and you want to have a relationship with him, but Islam does not, does not have that. There is no relationship with God. God is a, it's a high and a mighty being somewhere in the, in the nebulous that you cannot access. 
Um, and it's, it's not through any means that we have on this earth that we can communicate with this God. So that is one thing that I found was completely void in my life. And it was important for me at that stage in my life. I, I wanted to know why I was doing this. Is there, is there a purpose for it? Um, do I have any meaning of life at all? And if there is, then you know, I'd like God to show me. And that was just not being provided. So I think that's where it comes down to. I, I don't think in the beginning, even though I was doing all these rituals and I was trying to follow what my father was, was uh, directing me to do in the mosque and, and reciting the prayers, it really didn't have meaning. It didn't, it didn't click with me the whole way through. So Ash, tell us about your university years. I, I understand in the, uh, the early study years, you really did suffer rejection and isolation. You even came to a point where you were actually cursing God for wasting his energy in creating you and, and wanting to give up on it all. Uh, tell us about that story and then what happened out on the streets of Sydney one day. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard story every time I say it um, because you, you come to a low point in your life and, and you look back and say that that was really a dark moment. And indeed, those university years, although I, I really look back and, and have fond memories of the, the knowledge that I gained in it um, and the, the open-mindedness, I also had a massive struggle with just coming to terms with why I was here. I, I'd come to a point where I said, God, you, you, if you are real, um, you should show yourself to me. I'm, I'm tired of having to go through this life alone and not knowing what to do with myself. I have no meaning. I, fe- I have no feeling. And it's those, those situations where you know, you know, even a depressed person can relate to when they're saying, that I just, I'm numb, I'm completely numb to my emotions. And that's how I felt at the time. And I'd ask God, you know, where, where are you? Um, can you show yourself, reveal yourself to me? And it just didn't come. But um, even a whole while, I knew that his hand was on me in retrospect. At the time, struggling through all these emotions, I'd, I'd cursed him. I said that you, you, you really have done yourself a disservice by creating me, and I really want to end it now. And so I planned myself um, to, to harm myself in quite a severe way in uh, walking up the fourth story of a university building, and I, would, I planned myself to, to throw, throw myself off the fourth story balcony. And, and I, I knew that that would be the end of it, and it would be fantastic after that. There'd be, there'd be no more hurt, there'd be no more trials, there'd be have no more struggles in my mind. Uh, but that very night that I was going to, um, to rest so that I could get up and, and do that act, I was woken up at two in the morning in a drench of sweat with my heart pounding and a, a, an amazing sense of peace that I'd never felt before just come upon me and say, you, you are at peace. You have peace because I am with you. And it was, there was no fireworks. There was no big dream. There was, there was nothing that just came upon me except for just a sense of peace. And I just knew from then that I just couldn't go on with that plan. And you were walking around the streets one day in Sydney. You came across a man with a toddler in a pram. And uh, he must have just sensed your your emptiness, your your loneliness. He asked you if you know you could just have a chat with him. What happened from there? It was it was something I couldn't explain. It's, it's someone just on the streets of Sydney where you think you know uh, everyone is on their own. You're all living together, um, but not really forming a relationship. This person just came out of nowhere, and I was walking quite aimlessly you know, on the streets of Parramatta, and uh, with his approach. I, I couldn't resist but to open up and say, look, I've been struggling. And, um, and he said, well, why don't we talk about it? 
and from then on we struck a friendship it was just amazing it was he didn't introduce himself to be a christian he didn't tell me that this is what his faith was about he just simply walked with me and did a journey of of life basically um going through my childhood and my parenthood uh, what my parents would be taking me through um and he said you know you're going through stuff and we all have but you have to respect your parents and you have to you have to do that because it is the right thing to do and i think you know that and i in, in inside deep within me i did know that but at the whole time he gave me this openness and almost this unconditional love that i had been missing and didn't know had existed until then and so- there was something different about him that i had to ask him what is it that's so different about you and he shared it he simply said i believe in god and god through Jesus Christ, has set me free. So this gentleman himself was a migrant from Ghana. Yes, he was. He was involved with a Christian church. Mm. And so did you actually then go to your parents yourself? Tell us what happened. I'd joined um, his church in Parramatta for about six months. I wanted to know. I had a fervent um, desire and an appetite to know God in a tangible way, uh, in a way that I'd never you know, known before. I'd never had access to the Bible before, so this was my first interaction. And it was wonderful. For six months, I had learned about God. I'd seen these wonderful scriptures in the Old and the New Testament, stuff that I'd innately sort of appreciated, even in the Quran, but never in that kind of color and life. And so I had to share it with somebody. And after being baptized in that church, I had to come home and be open and frank with my parents and her mom and dad. Uh, I tell you the truth now, I can't lie to you anymore. I'm a Christian and I've been going to church and I've just been baptized and I want to share it with you. And I, I don't know how naive I, uh, I could have been, but I, you know, looking back at that, I think how stupid I was to have just opened up and, and think that they would have accepted that and, and, and uh, appreciated it. They had beaten it, everything out of me, it, physically, verbally, emotionally. They said... We don't want you to come back into this house unless mm. you've rescinded everything you've ever um, just said to us. You've revoked um, your allegiance to this God that you say that you've, you've just um, been baptized under. And um, you, we will not accept you in this family unless you do all of these things. And I had no choice at that age of 18. Um, I really wasn't independent enough to, to, to feel confident to do this. So I said, uh, I'm sorry. I, I really didn't realize it was going to affect you so much. And I do. I'll, 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 I'll do whatever you tell me, and, and that's fine. I, and from then on, they said, you are only going to go to university and you'll come straight home and there's no other life for you. So I was back into a form of, I suppose, bondage so that they could at least keep tabs on what I uh, was doing with myself. Well, thanks for joining us today on History Makers. We hope you've been enjoying listening to the testimony of Ashraf Saleh. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for this week. But next week, we're going to feature the rest of the story. Make sure you tune in. It was my mother, actually. Oh, your mother had beaten yeah, you? Oh. Yeah, my mother was quite, um, quite, quite upset the first time she heard that I was a Christian. And she, beat, she tried to beat it out of me. She said, this is, just, mm. this is impossible. You are our son. Mm. You, you should be providing a good example for your siblings. Mm. And this is the absolute worst thing that could happen to us in our lives. And we will find a way of getting this out of you. And, and that, that has been the opportunity for me to actually show, show them that here I am um, as an ex-Muslim. I've come to open my, my life to Christ. And when, when you do that, you will see this whole um, unveiling, basically, an unveiling of Islam and what it means. 
it took my father uh, that much to, to get him to, to come and see me at the hospital. Got a page where I was working on uh, that I was to come to the reception at the cancer trial centre and I was expecting it to be a patient. I went there with a notebook in hand and I saw my father there with tears down his eyes with open arms and saying, please come home. So please join us next week for part two of Dr Ashraf Saleh and his story of conversion from Islam to Christianity. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. Order your flash drive with 20 of the best History Makers interviews now at historymakers.tv for just $19.95. All proceeds will help History Makers Radio and TV share the gospel all around the world. Order now at station sponsor, historymakers.tv. You'll hear interviews from Mark Burnett, producer of the Bible series and Survivor. Musicians like Paul Coleman, Mark Schultz and George McArdle from the Little River Band. Also Kate Brax, winner of MasterChef 2011, former Olympian Elka Whalen and many more. Order now at historymakers.tv.